Shut up and sit down. Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, it's February 11th, and we have a special show because it's been a big week in the, the New York Knickerbockers franchise. I learned what a Knickerbocker was today, so I had to say it. And uh, we have a couple guests on the show. We're doing an all-hands, on-deck, Knicks podcast on Limited Upside today. Uh, we have Ariel Helwani joining us. Um, Ariel is from MMAfighting.com. You might know him as a multiple-time journalist of the year for uh, Mixed Martial Arts. Uh, he's also a diehard Knicks fan. And you might know him from some other basketball-related stuff on a 30 for 30 he participated with. And we have Seth Rosenthal, who started posting and toasting. He is one of the foremost Knicks voices here in New York City. And uh, you might also know him from eating all of the concession food at MSG last year when it was free. And then, as always, Mike Prada, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here as always, Mike. Guys, it's great to have you on the pod. I want to jump right into it. Uh, Something happened this week with the Knicks. It happens, I, I think you said before the pod, Ariel, this happens all the time. It's been a normal week. They fired their coach. Guys, what, what happened this week in your minds as Knicks fans that makes this just an every other time in February? Well, uh, it was a bit different. I mean, this is the first time I can remember where the Knicks fired their coach, and I didn't at least partially see it coming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it seems like right before the trade deadline, right before All-Star break, Pretty much every season, something crazy happens, uh, usually deliberately because the Knicks like to sort of make their own fate. Um, yeah, and Derek Fisher's not the coach anymore, and no. suddenly a team that already had some uncertainty ahead has even more uncertainty ahead. It's, so this is something that happens somewhat frequently. We've seen Fisher, Woodson, D'Antoni, Isaiah Thomas, and we're only going back to like mid-2000s here. So coaching turnover happens. There is a new guy at the top right now. I'm sure when Phil Jackson was announced as the, the new I don't know, GM, guru, you name it, the person in charge of the operation, that there were brighter days ahead. Are we still looking at brighter days ahead, Ariel? I think so, as long as they have Chris Tapps Porzingis. But I will say <laughs> that... Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Like I thought, I remember actually watching. I don't have to think that far back. I was watching the game on Sunday against the Nuggets, and the game was lost. And I think there was maybe thirty or forty seconds. And Fisher calls a timeout, and I noticed he's usually very well dressed. He's got these nice suits, and I noticed that his top button was undone, his <laughs> shirt was all messed up, his tie was messed up, and in the huddle, I kid you not, he burped. He did like one of those internal burps, and I swear, God is my witness, I said, this is a defeated man. Like, what is going on here? Because I looked at Mike Malone, and he was like all fired up, and he was talking, and, and the Nuggets bench seemed so engaged, and Fisher just seemed completely mm-hmm. checked out. And then I, the next day, he gets fired. Did, I, did, did, did you notice this? I didn't notice that, but I take offense because I dress poorly and I burp a lot. So. <laughs> he dresses very well, so when he doesn't dress well, it sticks out. And so I was pleasantly surprised yeah. because I thought, A, I never liked the hiring from the get-go. He always felt like you know the second or third choice. Felt like a guy that was sort of pushed into this role. And I felt like as long as Phil's going to be here, he's going to stick with his guy, yep. with his little puppet. Sure. I, I was never impressed with him from day one, and I'm so happy he's gone. I was elated when I got the news. It was a weird timing, though. I mean, they went on a losing streak, uh, but before then, they were overachieving. Yeah, they, you know, they've, they've lost 9 of 10 right now. So wins and losses you know, type situations where it snowballs, oftentimes there is a coach to fall on here. But were the gears in motion for a little while now? Is that kind of what we should have expected? Like, they were playing a little bit poor. Przingis is hitting kind of his midseason wall, although he's still playing well. Uh, you have a few different pieces who look better than maybe they anticipated. Uh, 
Thomas, Thomas uh, Langston Galloway, guys who are overachieving, but ultimately they're five games out of the eight seed in the East. That's, that's just not that good. Were the gears in motion to move Fisher for a little while now, or is this something that was like knee-jerk this week? It all came to a head and he was fired. Doesn't it feel like they were kind of waiting for him to have a bad stretch to kind of kick him out? I don't know. It just You made the point that the players just didn't seem like they were listening to him and mm-hmm. he was checked out. It. That certainly seems obvious, uh, but it's it is weird though because on the whole the team I thought was doing quite well. Yeah, well, and hindsight it, is always twenty twenty because yeah. a month ago they're on this great streak and then Melo rolls his ankle, um, right? And then they lose to Brooklyn and they're, they're yep. trying to go above five hundred. But now you see all the reports and and it's sort of like the David Blatt thing, although much less, mm-hmm. where he wasn't connecting and there was a divide within the coaching staff and things like that. So that seems to come out. But I think Phil Jackson, who has uh, his limited media availabilities, because now they seem more and more limited, they're so frustrating to watch because he speaks in code. Yep. Like he, he drops these little things, and, and I don't think it was a glowing – like he he didn't seem all that remorseful. Mm-hmm. And then he puts out this tweet, and it's like, what what is this? This is the way that you're going to reassure – so it just seems like there's, there's a whole big mess there. And it seemed like he wasn't connecting with his coaching staff, that he came across as very smug to me. I watch all the post-game stuff, all that, and I just couldn't stand his demeanor. It's like, who – you're – you're a fine player. You are an okay player. But who are you to talk to the media like this and look down? I know some of the media members ask stupid questions. Yeah. Yep. But his, <laughs> so, so they don't ask dumb questions. <laughs> his whole approach just drove me nuts from, from the get-go. So it seemed like this was building for quite some time, and, and the winning streak was kind of the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, the, the losing streak. The Phil tweet was interesting because, like you said, it was, it was totally cryptic and yeah. filled with a lot of academic speak and vagaries. And – it, it does make some sense, though. I thought Fisher, and I think Prater might agree with me, was tactically, especially for his experience level, a pretty sound coach. He he was blending the triangle offense and the, the basic principles in with something a little more advanced. He had, I think, interesting and creative sets, especially in late-game situations. However, uh, we saw it with the media, and I think we're now in, beginning to hear more and more of it uh, in relationship uh, to the players if not seeing it on the floor these last couple of weeks, as a leader and as just a person who relates to his charges might not have been great, might not have been someone who had the total respect of his players. And for me, I didn't I didn't see that much difference in the Knicks' game plan when they were losing, just execution, just, you know, the yeah. triangle offense demands a whole lot of energy and a lot of cohesion um, and it, guys need to be cutting. They need to be setting good screens. And, and, and I think that is true for every offense, but I think it's true more so for something as choreographed and as fluid as the uh, triangle offense. And guys just weren't doing it, doing it anymore. But, I mean, wasn't the biggest problem with Carmelo Anthony's injured ankle? Mm. I mean, they don't have much talent, I think, to really step up when he's hurt and really win a lot of games. He's I mean, leading the team in points, rebounds, and assists right It just now. seems to me that like the reason they lost 9-10 to 10 is not because the players stopped listening to him, not because their execution was terrible, but because Carmelo Anthony was right. out of the lineup. The team had been bad without him even before that. It is funny how much Melo stepping on a ref's foot yeah. and turning his ankle funny caused everything word. to spiral. <laughs> We're funny like, like this milk Sad. smells it's, funny. funny. Yes. But like, like, okay, so my point, I guess, is, all right, so they're not connecting with He's not connecting with the players. Okay, that, let's accept that as a given. Whatever non-connection was going on, they were playing pretty well until Carmelo Anthony sure. got hurt. So I guess I don't quite understand. I mean, if it was really so bad, you know, why are they still successful relatively given their so you level of talent? with the move. 
Well, I just thought it was a little bit of a strange timing at mm-hmm. this point. And I, I also think that if, if these were problems with Derek Fisher all the way through, then you have to go all the way back to why did you hire him in the first place? I mean, yeah. why hire a guy straight off the bench? He's playing the year before he coaches, and he has no coaching experience. And like you said, probably the second or third choice, because as Steve Kerr yeah. was number one. Right. Why do this and then give him a year and a half to learn the job? I thought that was – I mean, that sequence of events to me is a little strange. I wonder strange. if he checked out, you know, because there's this whole thing about him, uh, you know, he, he handled it well. I just got the, the feeling that he wanted – None of yeah. this anymore. That's just my impression. No one has reported that. It just, from, yeah. from what I gather from him, he just didn't seem like a guy who was fired up to make this a better situation. So people keep insinuating that he wasn't totally ready for the coaching lifestyle. Right. That he was still sort of living like a player. Well, look right. at him flying to you know that whole thing. Right, and I mean he had just he got divorced last year, and I mean we I, we don't know exactly what has gone on behind the scenes, <laughs> sure. but I think there's a an abundance of rumors out there that he basically. Yep was not taking the job 100% seriously. Well, is, it, is it safe to say then that potentially not only was Fisher not taking it maybe as seriously as he needed to or needs to or needed to in this case because it's passed, but also that the whole time Phil Jackson kind of had one foot in and one foot out yeah. or still has one foot in and one foot out where he wants the power, he loves the big paycheck he's getting, he's making an incredible $12 million a year or something to that effect. Yeah. So it's hard to say no to that, but then also knowing that he's going to get to pick his guy like he did with Fisher, like he went after Kerr. So he's always kind of had it his way, but without having to really be here in New York full-time to see the repercussions of it, to kind of taste the media's flavor here, Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with things like backlash to a player who might, or to a coach who might still be more of a player. I mean, Fisher's only 41 years old, guys. He's the same age as Kevin Garnett and and Dirk for all intents and purposes here. Um, And those guys are playing. So once you reach your late 30s every year, it's kind of You're all just the same. I mean, (laughs) that's how it works. I don't know. I'm I'm almost there. You bring up a great point because I think that Jim Bankoff is the, I think, CEO of Vox. Imagine if he ran this company and said, I'm only going to hire – my friends to yep. run it, and I'm never going to look outside the box. And you know, that doesn't make yep. sense as a leader. That just doesn't make sense. And now, I know I'm kind of skipping. If 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 the the pool that we're going to look into to find the next coach is going to be like two, three guys, what the hell are we doing here? Right. See, that's where yeah. I don't know that uh, Fisher was a good or bad hiring in the first place. I don't know that firing him just now is good or bad. If you go and replace him with Luke Walton, then what? What was the Brian point? Shaw? Of yeah, then that's the same thing. That yes. is a coach with no experience who, <laughs> who once played for you. And that's, right. you know, unless they are categorically different personalities and are, you know, there's a vast difference in their ability to connect with players and their intelligence and their adaptability, then you have basically guys with the same qualification. And yeah. Brian Shaw had problems in Denver with right. those very same issues. Right. That's and why in general, we're just talking about yeah. inexperienced guys who once played Carmelo Anthony is not going to listen to Luke Walton. I just don't see that connection happening. Sure. I, with all due respect to Luke, he did fine with maybe the greatest team in NBA history. <laughs> That's right. Let's calm down here. He's not going to come to New York and inspire this team. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. There's only one choice. And again, I'm, I'm just, there's only one choice to coach this team. And if it doesn't happen, I, I would be very, very, very depressed because Phil's going to leave very <laughs> soon. I'm sure of this. These are what my sources Keep are going. telling me. Keep going. Mind. <laughs> He's going to leave, yep. and we're going to be left with another retread situation with another guy who who's not the right guy. There is one guy to coach his team. It's the obvious answer. And and for once, for once, 
I hope actually James Dolan steps in. I hope <laughs> that, that for the amazing. first time, wow. I, I am actually hoping that he steps in and says, Phil, we need to think outside the box here and, and, and get the guy who should be here. It's 1120 a.m. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 11, on February 11th. Uh, a Knicks fan is saying he wants uh, James Dolan to this step in. This is the first and, time. And, this is the first time. <laughs> Wait, I, what, what name are you about to say? Tibbs. There's only Tibbs. one. Dolan hates Thibodeau. I, no, no, no. But this is this is the one time <laughs> yeah. that you check your ego and say, what's oh, right man. for this team? That's that's what has to happen. You're asking Tim's for a lot right Jackson. now. That's what has to happen. You're asking for Phil Jackson to let James Dolan to step in and James Dolan to f- forget that Tom Thibodeau and Frank Isola are best friends. Yeah, so. <laughs> he does seem to like him very much. Well, because Thibodeau was his source right. for a while. And, and that's fine. I mean, it, it do, is. You not, do you not agree that he's the best guy out there right now? If All that aside— well, it, yeah, in a vacuum, Tom Thibodeau is a very good coach. In New York, he's already had an ugly exit. I, I mean, if as long as Phil's here, those are two very big egos yeah. and yeah. possibly conflicting personalities. If, if Phil Jackson and Tom Thibodeau could find common ground, that would be amazing. Incredible. If those are guys who could work together, absolutely. That would be terrific. Billy Martin was fired like I eight times know. by Steinbrenner. They made oh, it work. Oh, yeah. I'm not, yeah. So listen, listen not? if all these people are willing to <laughs> – so, crazier things have happened. I mean, James Dolan hired Phil Jackson and said, yeah, I'm not going to touch the basketball team anymore and has for two or three years yeah. followed through on that, has not interfered. If you were the GM, who would you hire? If you had the pick of the litter? Oh, I think Thibodeau would be a great pick. So, if Jeff Van Gundy wants to coach the Knicks, I think he would be – Wait, let me, let me throw a few names okay. at you guys. Right. We'll just, I'll throw a few of the wall here. There's Blatt. Blatt's yeah. available. No. Okay, no. He has that connection with uh, Steve Mills. And by the way, what does Steve Mills really do? I mean, it, like, it, it, to me, it just doesn't... Steve be- Mills shakes hands, I think. I think Steve Mills knows what, the agents. He's, and, yeah. he's here, too, right? I mean, doesn't in he, New York, where Phil is not all the time. Doesn't he basically do what Phil Jackson like is, doesn't really want to do himself, but knows he needs yeah. to get I don't like that dynamic. Okay. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. I think it's well so far. I don't know. We talked about Walton. I'm just going to name a few, and then you guys can tell me what you think makes sense. Walton, Shaw... Thibodeau, Scotty Brooks, Mark Jackson, just a few guys who might, you know, be potentially available. Van Gundy. These are guys whose names have been mentioned. They have some New York roots. Some of them are from New York. Some of them have played for the Knicks. Do you like any of those names? And I want to make one other quick aside. There seems to be something about ex-point guards who are really uh, stubborn, who have had a lot of trouble staying (laughs) on teams as their coach. That starts with Mark Jackson. Uh, I think that there's interest or I think there's some good parallels, I would say, between what Scotty Brooks was pretty stubborn, never really changed the way he did, and he was a way lower tier point guard. We talked about Mark Jackson had that issue. Shaw was an ex-point guard. Fisher's an ex-point guard. Wow. There's a little bit Jason of a... Jason Kidd's an ex-point Jason Kidd, guard. Avery Johnson. These are all guys who really, despite success even Lionel in Hollins. Kidd, and, right, had short stays. Theory. I'm just saying, I see a lot of Chris Paul barking at people on the court. It's easier to move guys around when you're one of five guys. Sometimes it's harder when you're on the bench, and they don't have to listen to you. Also, they have the ball. That's right. That's they have the ball in their hands. So, so, do any of those names stick so, to you guys, resonate at all? only one. Only one. There's so, only one. What? And by the way... Scott Brooks has a, a very soft spot in my heart. Mm. Um, do you remember in 1997, the brawl happens, P.J. Brown and Charlie Ward, and then game six, so that was uh, game five. Game six, they have no one. Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> I grew up in Montreal, and I remember watching that game in my basement, and they play. I've always tried to find it on YouTube. Wait, me too. Do you know they what played I'm talking about? The, the <laughs> they played like the, the patriotic song <laughs> and, and then they nine said, men, one mission. Yes. Yeah. And they said, this game is dedicated to all those who believe. Yeah. On the screen. Yes. It was and amazing. that's not on YouTube. I, 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 same struggle It's here. not on YouTube. I've looked, no, I've looked, I've looked stuff like everywhere. this. Everywhere. And Scott Brooks was a big part of that game. Other games from that series are yes. on YouTube in 
in totality, their yes. and for some reason, I, that I get emotional not. just talking about that game. Yeah. Alonzo Mourning hit a three at the top yes. of the key, but that year they moved in the three point line. So That's I've right. always thought that if the three point line was the the original three point line, he would have made it. We would have won that game. Game seven, game seven was so it's heartbreaking. A conspiracy. Am I allowed to cry on your podcast? Yeah, yeah for sure. But Scott Brooks Real was tears. a big part of that game because he had to move up. Herb Williams, I think, started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't have Ewing. Uh, so Scott Brooks soft spot, but I still would go. Hey, to I have, well, I'll pile on that real quick. I have a soft spot in my heart for Scotty Brooks too because I grew up a Sixers fan, and he was our actual starting point guard when I liked the Sixers. He was a solid, yeah, journeyman. He, he went to UC Irvine with a former boss of mine. He was a great point guard for <laughs> Jeff Herdman. A long story short, I've met him, and I met him when he was working out James Harden before he drafted him. Oh, he wow. was sort of a surprise pick. Fast forward to Mike. You wanted to say something. Well, Go okay, ahead. this would probably never work in New York. But like, why can't they just hire like an up and coming assistant and let him grow oh, with the I would team? Love it. I mean, why can't they hire like yeah, Kenny Kurt Rambis? Kurt right. <laughs> Just, he, needs he just his, needs his chance. He needs You're chance. right. <laughs> I want a basketball lifer. You know, like I want a Van Gundy type of guy. And that's what I want as GM too. Obviously, R.C. Buford is, you know, the, the god. But I mm-hmm. want guys who are like these these like sort of schlubby basketball lifers, not ex-players, guys who have their whole lives. You're just painting wanted. Thibodeau. I guess so. But you know like <laughs> how Van Gundy Thibodeau. used to look with the, the next Yes, Thibodeau. I want yeah. one of those guys. I don't need a big sure. name. I just want a basketball lifer who all he wants to do is coach and think about defense and just make this team better. And they keep hiring the wrong guy. Well, I think part of the problem is that for Phil Jackson, like what he's doing right now is not just about fixing the Knicks. It's about proving that whatever his life philosophy with basketball, it's proving that it works. And I feel like he's always been a maverick. You look at last year in the playoffs, the how's it going stuff with the uh, <laughs> with the tweet. This is about more than basketball, and I think it's weird too because for Phil Jackson, for for Phil Jackson, the triangle offense means something very different than from what the triangle offense means to you, I, or anyone else here. To me, it's an offense. It's a style of – it's a way of kind of – a system of basketball, you know, to score. For Phil Jackson, it's like a life philosophy, and that divide is always going to be a problem, I think. That's why he can't – that's why he's not suited to do this job because he only wants people who share his philosophies. And I think as a president, you need to think outside the box and pick the best man for the job, not someone who's going to be essentially an extension of yourself yeah. because there's a limited pool there. And it's all your friends, and it's all people who have been unsuccessful as coaches. So what does that tell you? It's, yeah, it's, it's also interesting, too, because you're talking about a guy hope. whose coaching philosophy was, my team's getting a huge run made on them. I'm going to let my players play through it. He delegated that responsibility in the moment That's to really the players point. as a coach, but has a lot of trouble delegating that responsibility yeah. as an upper management That's person. a really interesting the point. More I never I hear thought about talk, that. The more I <laughs> hear ahead. us talk, the more I think he's going to hire someone completely out of the blue. Completely oh, unexpected. So so and, you, and like not anyone we've named. So either. Seth, do you think there is a reality here that the next hire is someone who is not a triangle subscriber? Definitely. Okay. You know I, th- so. I think that could totally happen. And I base that on Phil's continued campaign of, delu- uh, of, of, of diluting people and of throwing people off this entire way. Yeah. We all knew exactly who Phil Jackson was going to draft and we were completely wrong. <laughs> we knew he was going to go after who he was going to go after this summer. We knew he was going to max out Greg Monroe. We knew we've known all along what he was going to do because it was obvious, and we had sources and Charlie Rosen and just basic, you know, ideas of what the triangle demanded. And we've been wrong every time. And I think interesting. I, I don't think he's. I hope you're right. We, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I get a lot of crap on Twitter because when they drafted Porzingis, I was upset. I was one of those fans, and and people now. 
because I glow about him. He makes me almost like a little aroused every time I see yeah. him. No problem. Like the, just the sight of him when he drives and hits a bank shot, a running bank with his left hand. Like yeah. I, I literally start to feel something inside. Yeah. I think I know what it's like to be a father now. Oh yeah, <laughs> trust me, I am a father, and it's it's very uh, it's, it's very much the same. But I'd love to have me, a seven three son like him. That'd I get crap all the time because people are like, "Oh, you didn't believe," and "Oh, look at you jumping on the right. bandwagon." Um, and by the way, I have a great Chris Stapps Porzingis story when I when I met him on my 33rd birthday, and I could share that later. But <laughs> I, what, what I say to people is, what have the Knicks done in the last 16 years to make me think on draft night that this was the right call? Right. Each and every step of the way, yep. it's been one mistake after the next. So, of course, I was sitting there and saw this skinny kid from Latvia who I knew nothing about except for a couple articles from Woj. Um, <laughs> I was like, there's no way this is going to work. So that's why – I, I am so pessimistic, and I am not that kind of fan, but they've mm-hmm. just beaten this into me where yeah. I keep thinking that they're going to make the wrong. So I hope you're right. I, I, I really, truly hope you're right. I just I, I want to go I back to this, I, I want to go back to this idea of Phil throwing everybody off and kind of he's really not this like triangle zealot, and he's willing to actually consider other things. So I still just wonder, like, it, mm. it's not about this is where the kind of the divide of what the triangle means to us and what the triangle means to Phil is, you know. We, when he says, like, it, when he talks about the triangle offense, we think it's got to be, like, the double post kind of, you know, sideline triangle. It leads a lot to two and a lot of mid-range shots. I think what he's probably looks at it more as is as a way of unifying everybody together, as a way of kind of people management. So I guess in that sense, maybe he will look outside the box. And maybe yeah, and- he will kind of think, like, okay, there's got to be another way to unify players. But it just seems – I don't know. To me, it just seems like such – devotion such kind of unrigidness to whatever his kind of philosophy is where really in the nba now there are a lot of ways to win and you know there are a lot of ways that the teams succeed it's a very different game than when phil was a coach i'm still a little skeptical that he's kind of ever really going to grasp that yeah I mean, look, guys I, I think there's definitely something to be said for for changing your philosophy for the players you have. I mean, Pop has changed his philosophy a number of times. They went from the slowest team to the fastest team, from no space to all the pace in the world, you know, you, you name it. And that just, I mean, obviously Pop is at one, you know, side of the spectrum here in terms of evolving. But I think one of the things that we we do have to, to kind of mention with Phil is that he always had a really clear hierarchy on the teams he coached. There was no discussion about who was getting the ball at the pivotal moments. And those were players who you could genuinely trust to make the right pass, the right shot, you name it. I don't think he has that same trust. I think he kind of showed it right when he took over the team that he doesn't have that same type of trust in Carmelo. Maybe that is Porzingis, and we will spend a solid 15 minutes on Porzingis. I think it's only fair. Let me know when I should take my shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get the nipple clamps later, dude. Um, But it looks like. But it, but you know, it does. It would appear that even just the initial way that he talked about Carmelo, the relationship, his lack of, uh, I want to say, standing in his corner yep. when he took the job, is evident in the way they play and the way that he still wants to run a system that's not necessarily for the players he has. Well, then what about the fact that Melo has been pretty good, increasingly pretty great well, because his whole career I mean, he's been. A, I mean, that's this isn't to take anything off Carmelo's career plate. He's always been a great scorer. He's actually passing. More now and functioning the offense, which would then okay. So then that circles back to Derek Fisher was fired for what reason? If there, yeah, okay, exactly. So there has to be something that we don't know. Something internally, there's a divide of the coaching staff. I mean, even Rambis talked about that. That's not even and Rambis's first press conference. He sort of alluded to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, There there was there was something there. It's it's obvious because when 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 Fisher assembled his staff, it was 
it was cool that it was half Lakers guys and yeah. half OKC guys. <laughs> and now in retrospect, it seems like that ended up being kind of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he also did play for what Oklahoma City two seasons ago. Right. And Three apparently yeah. made a lot of friends there. Right. And, and they have, you know, we were talking before about uh, Prater was talking about young assistants mm-hmm. up and coming. And they have got Rashid Hazard comes from uh, a long background of coaching the D-League. They have Josh Longstaff and Brian Keefe who come from OKC. Like they have these guys who never played at an NBA level but have been coaches for a while. Okay, let's let's set something else then. Expectations are an important thing here. Okay, yeah. so Mike, you're a Wizards fan. Your expectations this season were probably to make the playoffs because last year they won around in the playoffs. I, I thought they. My expectation was they make the Eastern Conference Finals. Eastern Conference Finals, right? So you set you set an unrealistic expectation. Sorry, Mike. No, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, <laughs> hey, yo, I, if John Wall doesn't injure his wrist, they're there last and, year. Yep. I'm just saying. Probably right. I'm a Sixers fan. My expectation was that we would maybe win 15 to 20 games. It looks like we'll probably be right around there, right? The Knicks' expectation setting is always a little bit tricky to me. Yeah. I've been living in New York for five years. I've seen the Knicks make the playoffs, I want to say, two two times, something to that effect. I remember Hibbert blocking Carmelo in the series yes. against the Pacers, mm-hmm. and that yes. was the dividing point between when the Knicks were on the way up and when the Knicks started to go down. What expectation – okay, for me as a – I mean, I think it's a fair, that, I think it's a yeah. fair statement. Okay, cool. So I've been a Knicks troll for a long time, and I'm not anymore because I feel your pain as <laughs> oh, Knicks fans, you. guys, because I feel like it is a little bit closer to how I feel as a Sixers fan. Generations of kids have never seen a title, okay, and that's important to note. So with that being said, and the team who's been over 500 four times since 2000, shouldn't Knicks fans just be excited – and well, this is how we're going to get to Porzingis, that you have a guy like that to build around now and that that alone should make this a successful season? I'm excited. Right. I'm still optimistic. I still feel pretty well, good. Well, the question is, do the, does Knicks HQ listen to all the negativity and let it affect what they're doing? And yeah. I think the answer to that question is clearly yes. Because, <laughs> because you're right. Like, kind of on the surface, this is a team with one of the four or five best, you know, most promising young players in the league. And this is a team that has a lot of guys who have overachieved, a lot of players sure is a team that really i think if you look at their talent they weren't supposed to be even in the picture for the eighth seed and they're here they are so things are good they had a rough stretch because their best player got injured and exposed some of the problems they had but because there's just so much media pressure so much kind of this kind of warped expectations i think it, it has affected the way the team has operated for 15 years and so the question now is how do you get it to the point where you can kind of set those expectations reasonably? I think it's hard to do when you fire a coach after a year and a half that you brought in knowing that he was coming straight out of the league. I think that is counterproductive. Well, again, I, I, I still I maintain that something was going on behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, probably. Uh, and, and so we don't know the full story. Um, I don't know about you, Seth, but I would be a lot more depressed if Porzingis wasn't hmm. on the team, meaning – I can see past all of this because yep. he is our hope. Um, and, and, and my view of the team is completely different than last year because he's there. And I kind of view it like, you know, if you look back at the Warriors, 2009, 2010, like, you know, they, they, they're close. These games are, are close. They keep losing close games. Yeah, they're starting slow. But you just – you hope that in five years we'll look back and be like, man, they win a couple of those games. They're an eight seed. And the next year they'll build on that, build on that. As long as you have that guy, that, you know, that, that white unicorn – 
everything now they're more attractive for free agents. Sure. Now, you know, people are starting to play, and he's only going to get better. Every time I still watch every single game, every minute because it's just such a joy to watch him. It's so great to have that hope finally that this is a guy. He is our Dirk. He's the one. I really feel like he, and maybe it's just me convincing myself that this is the guy that's going. There's just something about him. The way he speaks, the way he handles himself, he's the way positive. the player. Yeah, there's just very positive. He's just such a breath of fresh air. Yep. And so if we didn't have him, I would be a lot more depressed about this situation. But he just opens everything up. Sure. And and that, and that to me is exciting. And I like the little pieces that we have. Like to me, Langston Galloway. If I can have twelve Langston Galloways, like the balls that Langston Galloway has. And yeah, he screwed up a couple of days ago. But he, I just love. He reminds me of like an old school Nick. Like he just has balls and he yeah. has big shots. You know, he's like a Chris Childs type. To That's me. Uh-huh. an interesting comparison. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we have some other guys. Robin Lopez to me has had a nice season, better than I thought. I, I love him. I've, I've been okay with Robin Lopez. O'Quinn was a disappointment, or has Derek been Williams a disappointment. Derek Williams is good per minute. Derek Williams, I don't know if he'll stick around. Uh, Seraphin drives me nuts. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah he does. Mike, you know anything about Seraphin? <laughs> yeah, he yeah. does. Well, what you <laughs> sort of identified, and I think this goes back to the expectations for this year, yeah. is the Knicks have roughly half of a pretty yeah, good basketball team. there's right? something there. They have no backcourt whatsoever. Yes, really, course. like you... You can't really look much further than 40 or so wins when Jose Calderon and Aaron Aflalo are trying to contain John Wall and, yeah. and the like. What's your take on Aflalo? I, I don't like him and hope he doesn't stick around. Did you and see that? It's been uh, the case since they signed him. There's a guy on Twitter um, that I follow. I think his name is Tommy Beer. Yeah. 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 He Tommy put that Beer's clip. Uh, he's great. Um, of Aflalo at the end of the game. Did you see that clip? No, I didn't. When Galloway misses the three, he he. Focused. Oh, I saw this. He's standing yeah. there, literally with his hands on his, <laughs> has no intention to maybe try to get a rebound or anything. He's standing there with his hands on his waist, clearly upset that he didn't get the ball yep. at the end. Yeah. He just his has a stone face. Yeah, I his saw demeanor this. was yeah. disgusting. Well, that's, this goes back the Oklahoma City game that again. I'll bring it up again that oh, I was at Oklahoma City game. Apollo yes. probably took four of the last five shots yeah. in, in regulation of that game. Um, which were all from the same spot on the court, which were all fadeaways, and he missed all of them because he sees himself as a superstar wing player on this team. Yeah, and that and that mentality is why he's de- upset and kind of yeah. a little bit of a to baby. To be fair, he he's it. had five or six games this year where it's sure. just Kobe for a night. A hundred percent. Those five or six games are sprinkled in though with like a week of bad yes. basketball. He has to recognize sure. his role, and I think when Melo's out, it's especially dangerous because he views sure. himself as That's you right. know the guy who's going to save the team when yep. he's out, the fill-in and, alpha. Yeah, yeah and, yep. and he he becomes this black hole. So I, I like him when he knows his role but then mm-hmm. I feel like more often than not he's trying to do too much mm-hmm. and uh, he's not playing within the system he's not passing the ball so he's been a little frustrating but again going back to my original point there is something there I, mm-hmm. I, I see it for the first time in a long time sure. even that, that team that won I think 54 games you, you knew that there was a limited window because a lot of these guys were old and mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't expect this to happen where it would completely fall off but here at least finally we have we have pieces there and I used to be in the camp uh, of of trading Melo now, I think that would be a huge mistake. Like I, 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 I like the way too. I like the way that he is bonded with um, with Chris Stapps. I, I like the way he's playing. Obviously, there's nothing, and clearly, look, they don't play as well without him. Yeah. So why would you trade him at this point? Yeah. So where the question then is where where does this team go from here? Okay, they've got the great young piece. They've got some interesting young players. Although they have to re-sign Galloway and Thomas. Yeah, Lance yeah, Thomas is going to get paid. Those guys are going to get a lot of money, I think. And then it's you know more you have to than think league about average. It. They have early bird rights. 
on both. I of think them? there's yeah. a chance. Yeah, I don't know if they actually will. It's tough to say. The market I, next I year is going to be can, nuts. But you, you know. can survive losing Lance Thomas. If right. So could could you survive losing Lance Thomas? Though I know you're a big fan. I listen. I wasn't. You know, six months ago. But yeah, he's <laughs> he's awesome. He's great. Yeah. He has a lot of energy and. What, what a nice surprise that has been. But, I mean, yeah. where do they go? They, yeah. Like I said, I think they have part of a good team, and we saw that going into the year. Sign some good backyard players who fit. Well, so so you, you, would, you would sign free – so I guess the question is Trade, they, don't have a, they don't have another first-round pick this that's year. That's what bothers no, me about this season. That's what kills me about this season. I would be okay with this losing streak if we had the pick. In fact, yeah. I would be happy about it all. Yeah. yeah. And the, the season is going to be lost if we don't get in the playoffs, and that's that's kind of the bummer. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, you've got one superstar. Obviously, Melo is still a really good player and a really important player, but he is also 31, and mm-hmm. you know he's not getting any younger. I mean, none of us are. I mean, yes. I've, I've tried. <laughs> Fortunately, <but laughs> it's failed. You've got Porzingis, who is going to be really good for a long time. Their timelines are kind of sort of off, but that's fine if you're kind of the goal is let's build ourselves to competency and then go from there. Right. The question is, how do you go from competency to a team or build around Porzingis that is actually going to be a real threat for a long time and not waste Porzingis' talent like New Orleans is about to waste Anthony Davis's? Yeah, that, I mean, that is that is the question. Can we use the Ish Smith barometer real quick? Are the <laughs> okay. Knicks a playoff team if he's their point guard? Oh, gosh. Oh, That's no. all I'm saying. Right? No. no. Throw it out. No. I don't think no. he's that good. I, I if the Knicks played, were to go you know, trade pieces for like Jeff Teague right now, uh, maybe, but who are oh. those pieces? Yeah, but, well, that, I'm not saying that much. that's feasible. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just saying if they could go get like a good yes, point guard, sure. or not Ish Smith, oh, not on. just like a you know a guy who slashes and throws himself at the rim. New Orleans misses Ish Smith, okay? For sure. For the, the, the Knicks would be better with Ish Smith. Yeah, sure. okay. Well, well, he's not we, good. We talked, but, we talked <laughs> about 30 seconds too much about Ish Smith. <laughs> he had yeah. that classic. I have to bring him up every he had that podcast. classic like journeyman point guard comes to the garden and just like has the greatest game of his life. He's been pretty good in general. We're not talking about Okay, let's move on. I tell you, I'm excited about that. Doesn't get talked about a lot. The guy in Spain, Hernan Gomez. Yeah, I like him. You don't he, like him. He doesn't defend. Yeah, but I just like having. I like that Chris like Stapps likes him. You know, I like what I like what Chris Stapps likes. Were they on the same, same team? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pagasol likes him. Vouch for him. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like that's a pick. He's very talented. That isn't playing right now. That at least we don't have a pick next year. But at least hopefully we can get him soon. Uh, that's not the savior, but I am excited about him. Yeah. So, so if you're the GM, right? Well, you already talked about you want to hire Tibbs. That would be your goal. That'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> what do you do this summer, and what do you do the next two years? I mean, Seth, is there a free agent that comes to mind to you that's like, this is the guy who's going to help blend with this team? I actually— Because Knicks will have money. When right? I look around, I don't see that many great free agent point guards. Yes. I think it might be more of a trade situation. Yep. And the Knicks do have—I I mean, we'll see what they do next week. But they they don't necessarily have a ton of talent uh, you know, on the, at the bottom of the roster. But they have a lot of nice contracts of different sizes. Mm-hmm. And they don't have picks to trade. So it's not going to be easy. But they can make a package of any size. Which is which was never the case before, pretty much this year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always like three twenty million dollar contracts, and then Ronaldo Bachman is the next highest paid guy. <laughs> do you expect them to make a move next week? I I kind of do, really? and I, I really think they're in a decent position to do that. Like a big move? I don't really expect them to do much. Nothing big, but um, so you know, if they wanted to go after George Hill or Drew Holiday. Or either of the Hawks guys, if those guys aren't, you know, the asking prices aren't huge. I think the target should be a, a good lead guard. So they, they need a they need a point guard. Yeah. And as we've written, this market 
for the summer is very weak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and Brandon guards, Jennings, yeah. basically. But, and Mike Conley. Oh, I don't love By the way, hard pass on Brandon Jennings. <laughs> yes, I don't love yeah. You guys shouldn't want Drew Holiday either. You don't want anybody who has any long-term injury issues. You, I like Drew Holiday, but I see what you're saying. You know yeah. I like Drew Holiday too, man. But Drew Holiday's the type of guy who could very easily be on a limits rest- or minutes limit restriction uh, as soon as next week again, if he's not he's, still currently on it. Um, it's kind of on a fake minutes. Sure. I mean, All right, so a pick-and-roll partner for Porzingis is like kind of priority number one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would appear that way, right? And again, this is the exact type of thing you want to draft in that middle rounds that they don't have, which yeah. you know I hate to always go back to the not having the draft pick. Bargnani, maybe the Bargnani, they can trade for a pick. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe they right? did it this past year. They got a, they got Jaron Grant for Tim Hardaway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's true. you never know. Well, I feel like he's. Uh, I mean, I guess he hit the wall, but he hasn't been inspiring as of late. Yeah, I'm not that that much concerned with. I, I agree with you. I have not been thrilled with him. Um, but just they got the 19th pick. Sure, sure, absolutely. For for a guy who was it's, not doing anything, yeah, yeah it was horrible. Maybe one of the worst players in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. all right. Well, so okay, guys. So we've kind of diagnosed what's going on currently with the Knicks. Why well, have two diehard Knicks fans here? And and obviously, Mike, you have a vast memory of basketball. <laughs> I want to I want to I want to uh, ask you guys. Uh, it, what, <laughs> it hasn't been easy over the past 20 years to be a Knicks fan. I know how this feels as a Sixers fan, right? Mm-hmm. So what? What moments, what players, what's the favorite player that, Ariel, what, what kept you when the Knicks were in the dog depressing days of, say, oh. after 2000? Gosh. Who, who, <laughs> what kept you going as a Knicks fan? What, what, which players, what moments are kind of resonate with you? Same thing with you, Seth, because I know you started your whole claim to, or, or rise to, to Knicks prominence here as a, as a posting and toasting creator right around when the Knicks were, were not a good team. Mm. So, guys, what's kept you going as Knicks fans? Why are we focusing fans? on the bad years? I want to know, what's kept, you, I wanna know what's kept you going. And you said we, we got 15 minutes of Chris Dapp. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, we'll get back to Chris Dapp. No, I want to I know. Yeah. I well, Chris Dapp is keeping you going now. Yeah, who who is, you going now. What who was, was the then? proto-Chris Dapp? Yes, who, what was it before, guys? Wow. Nothing has ever Doesn't compared. I, I talked myself into people being Chris Dapps before yeah. this. Well, remember <laughs> the Jeremy Lin phenomenon, guys. I only bring that up because they haven't even had that there's an actual real thing with Chris Dunn. Right, see, that's right. the thing that's that struck me is that every time there's someone, a good, decent young player in New York, it feels like they get hyped up so much mm-hmm. and because it's like, you know, it's like water in the desert. It just doesn't exist. And we've seen <laughs> a lot of players kind of disappoint after their initial surge. And so when Chris S was playing as well as he was in November, a part of me was a little skeptical, being like, well, I've, heard, I've seen this story before. This guy is good, but... You know, we're making him out to be more than he is. And then the more I go on, I realize this guy really is special. What was the moment where you kind of guys kind of realized that this was not just the latest flavor of the month? Oh my! Um, I felt like it was pretty early. At least, and you could just kind of tell. Even in in summer league, you could tell like this guy was. That's what I was gonna say. You know, like you could tell like, this guy is special. He knows what he's doing. Here's my quick Chris Tapp story because I love yeah, it yeah. so much. It. Patrick Ewing, my favorite athlete of all time, obsessed with him. Uh, he's the reason I became a Knicks fan. I always wanted to be 33 because that was his number. I wanted to be the age 33 because <laughs> so, I was like, that's Ewing's number. I could be 33. I'll say that everywhere on all my documents. On my 33rd birthday, uh, July 8th of this past year, I'm going to Las Vegas to cover a UFC event, and I'm sitting at JFK um, waiting to board my flight, my Delta flight, and I see Kristaps Porzingis in the airport. Now, he has not played a single game as a Nick, Summer League hasn't started. And then I see Jerry and Grant, and I see Langston Galloway in the airport holding a ball, which I thought was a little weird. Like, you're a pro <laughs> player, you don't have to be traveling with a ball. He's wearing his own jersey. A lot of guys dribble through the airport. <laughs> Jack, Jack used to always do that. It's yeah. a bizarre thing. Really? That's fine. It's good for how working you, on your hand. How do you dribble on the moving walkway? 
that's you I know that's inertia. Mike. If you can inertia. beat the moving walkway, that's you right. can beat a defender. Sorry, you, go you on. You like throw the ball out, and then it has it comes back to you. I didn't sure. see him do that, so I so I can't vouch for that. But um, I quickly realized it's the summer league team. They don't have their own plane. They're flying commercial, and um, no one really recognizes them. Of course, I did. I was super super excited, and so this is my thirty third birthday, Patrick Ewing Day, and I meet the future. Mm, do you, I like do, it. Do you, real, do you realize how freaky this is? Patrick this Ewing is, Day. This is the day, <laughs> and I meet him, and I go right up to him. No one went up to him, and I just said, you know, I wish you the best. Shove it up Stephen A's ass. I said that to him. <laughs> he loved that. He loved that, awesome. and uh, you could just tell. I could tell right there. Yeah. I was I was on the fence. I was doubting it. But right there, the way he was engaging with me, he just seemed like such a good kid. I'm yeah. like, man, I want to root for you. Sure. Um, Galloway was the same. Cleanthe Early was a little bit of a, <laughs> I'll be honest. But uh, those two guys, so I, that's when I fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. And he sat in back of me on the flight. And so, like, you can't see this because this is in video. But let's say I'm sitting here. His leg in back of me was up to my leg because he was so long. I just feel like a knee like, in the top I'm of your neck. next to the future. Yeah. So that, that, that's where, like, my love affair with Chris Stapps really began. Uh, I trust that you didn't lean the seat back. I did not. I was like, can I get you something? Do you need a pillow? I just, I was just so happy to be in his presence. And uh, so that, for me, that's where it, it has nothing to do with the game but I just like this is my guy yeah. and, and this is who I'm going to roll with I think it's as simple as this if you grew up as someone his age and you idolized Allen Iverson you idolized a type of basketball that's just different than say what Darko was looking forward to when he was making his prospect rise I don't think he ever had his mind in basketball. Kristaps has been eating and breathing and sleeping basketball, putting his hair in the same formation that Allen Iverson did since he was a kid. <laughs> They're the best pictures on the internet. He's like seven feet tall at 13 years old with, with cornrows. Yeah. And, and so the idea, though, is that he has only wanted to be here forever. I think if you grow up in Latvia, I don't know what the history of Latvia is. I'm, it's probably not that nice. I'm assuming that when he was a child, maybe there was some conflict. You're going to get a lot of hate from Latvia now. <laughs> it's okay. Last week, Mike called... Uh, uh, who, Mike called uh, oh, Stephen Adams Steve Australian. Adams from so Australia. I think oh, we're gonna yeah, yeah, screw up the whole Oceania. No, but uh, he he almost feels like this yeah. test tube baby that from day yeah. one his his brothers and his family prepared him for this moment. Like that article, I think again it was it was Woj about um, mm-hmm. his agent saying to the Sixers like, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we'll talk later. You know like they wanted <laughs> New York and it's so great to see him now flourishing. I know it's only been a few months and I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, <laughs> something to happen. Yeah. I, you know because he's so frail. I just I just want to protect. Sure. Um, but again, everything is okay because he's here. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've I, never had that. So to answer your original question, yeah. we've yeah. never had that. Like when Melo came, there there was still some some sure. drama around him. When Jeremy Lin came, it ended rather quickly. He got injured. And, and yes, I'm not going to lie. Like when when Lin, you know, against the Lakers, that was incredible. Against the Raptors, that was incredible. Melo, his first game against Milwaukee, was all incredible. But it, it never felt like this mm-hmm. because it, this this is the beginning. This is 20 years old, and this is going to be our savior. Ayo, for sure. Um, I will say though that that whole situation of agents deciding what teams their players are going to talk to. A better better situation for his playing career would have been Philadelphia. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 
where you sit right now in this situation currently to this day, February 11th, with Kurt Rambis as your coach. Yes. You know, losing nine out of ten. So to go right back to where we are right now, going into the All Star break. Seth, you mentioned it earlier. You anticipate them making a run still at that eight seed. What gives you? I don't that know if they'll make a run all the way at the eight okay, seed. Okay, but there are what twenty seven something like that games left. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna go on a win streak. I guarantee at the end of the year there will be like, well, did Rambus do enough to stick around? I <laughs> promise you that'll be the case. It feels like what's in all over again in a weird way. Like he kind of gets pushed in yep. and then they might yes. stick with him. Yes. But then he'll only last two, three years because someone, you know, will get yeah. impatient. Well, they yeah. got a I good mean, balance I, when Woodson took over too. Right. Yeah. I don't think they'll end up sticking with Kurt Rambus. Who knows? Um I mean, but, you're talking about a team that's nine and seventeen on the road. That that reeks of a young team, right? Yeah. Like, you know. like Prada said, um, health matters a lot, and so if if Melo ends up shutting it down at some point, then that changes everything. But mm-hmm. I don't. I, I I really do feel like the difference between this last couple of weeks and the win streak before that was, like you said, a little bit of injury, and also just guys weren't there. They just weren't really. They weren't trying as hard, <laughs> put simply. <laughs> and so yeah. if. They, for whatever reason, feel like playing for Kurt Rambis. All of a sudden, they start winning games. And also, really you have to look beyond it. just the losses. Like, there's some there's some promising things happen mm-hmm. happening. There, the fact that they're coming back and not just rolling over in most of these games. Like, they're not getting blown out. Um, they're losing games at home, which is you know a little bit bothersome. But it, there, there's always there's always like a, a, a silver lining, at least for me. In for these sure. Games. Posting and toasting has a, a quote here: "The quality fake comeback." Yeah, that's a term we use a lot. I've, I've noticed that like a lot. That. Can you just describe to me what a, quality a fake f- comeback is? What the Knicks do? I think it probably describes fifteen twenty games this season, <laughs> and most of the games last season, and most of the games the year before is they fall behind early. You're like, all right, well, they're going to get blown out. They come ninety nine percent of the way back. And then some sort of dumb garbage happens right. at the end that keeps them from actually winning. Like uh, Langston Gallagher missing a wide-open three. That honestly, relative to other fake combat, usually it's like <laughs> he would have just drop-kicked that ball out of bounds instead of getting a really <laughs> yeah. good shot. Yeah. And it just was more the turnover before yeah. that that really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, But I do think it's good to learn, guys. Like I, I watch so many games where the outcome is going to be a loss, but I'm happy with the Sixers losing a close game so they get the experience of playing the Clippers in overtime, to lose to the Kings last night in a couple-possession game. So there's definitely something to be said for Porzingis playing in three, four-point games, for Galloway playing in these types of games, sure. where if he's missing the shot, he's still taking the shot. Sure, as long as as long, and I, like Ariel was hinting, I, I as long as Chris Stapps has the medal to mm-hmm. put up with that amount of losing, which I suspect he does. He seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, the, the bigger concern I have is the minutes he's playing. Yeah, just, that's, I just that's hope a real that concern. I just hope they don't put too much on him too soon. Sure, yeah. Especially, I also I think long term he's a center, but I think it is important that they have Robin Lopez there to kind of bang with bodies. Yeah, he's always going to need an actual defensive center there because he can play defense for sure. But I think one of the best things that I see from Kristaps, he's comfortable going to the three point line, getting into defensive crouch, yeah. and guarding a wing. Yeah. Also, it's, wings if when they find themselves in that situation, people love to take Kristaps off the yeah. dribble, and yeah. it people score on sure. him all the time. You know, Wall burned him a few times. Yeah. But he he likes Ooh, that yeah. challenge. Yeah, yes. talk about the, my favorite matchup I've watched this season so far defensively with the Knicks was that Moutier Porzingis back and forth fun. a little bit. Yeah. That was great. At, uh, full disclosure, I've only watched Moutier play again. We've talked about the Nuggets a couple pods ago. I've watched Moutier play a few times, but he was really really impressive in the fourth yeah. quarter of that yep. game. And there were a couple drives when guys don't use the rim, they don't go reverse layup. Porzingis blocks are shot. Yes, yep. Moutier was good. Moutier did a good job against him. I give him credit. He did. And part of that is physicality. Moutier is super physical. He could take a little body contact, still go, you know, both hands around the rim. 
He's um, also a point guard playing the Knicks. He's also a point guard yes. playing the Knicks, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's yeah the Very fact true. that Chris Stapps is guarding you in the first place is a problem. <laughs> right. Jose Calderon is probably seated somewhere on the that's ground. Right. Yeah. That's right. So realistically, what do you guys want to see the rest of the year? Yeah. I mean, what record-wise, player development-wise, uh, trade-wise, what's yeah, like kind gosh. of the ideal next couple months? It would be nice if they just got back on track a little bit and, and were able to not fall in these deep holes um, and, you know, always be competitive. I, I felt like I did not think that they would be in the playoff hunt at all, so I was pleasantly surprised when they were 500. And then once I started to see them play well together, especially with Melo changing his game a little bit, I was like, oh, this could happen. I just think that it's kind of bad luck that they don't have a pick and that the East is better and more competitive. I think maybe this team can make the playoff last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have a chance this year. And uh, that is... That is just annoying because, you know, I would be okay with getting a draft pick and not making the playoffs, but they, I, I want, I want, you know, I want them to build like a, any normal team builds with picks, with, with lottery picks, things like that. And um, until they get by this Bargnani thing and a couple <laughs> other missteps, yeah. it feels like they can't truly get on the right path. Sure. And I also think that more turmoil is to come. I don't expect Phil to stick around forever, and uh, I'm worried about who he's going to higher although you're making me you know be a little more optimistic about well, that so ariel you went on the record here you want tibbs Seth, yes. you've been a little non-committal on yeah who you'd like to say. i feel very non-committal it's, okay it, what does phil want so you're, you're letting this like, marinate because you kind of want to see what kurt rambus can do yeah I'm, listen i'm not <laughs> I, sure yeah sure kurt sure if kurt, kurt rambus is a good coach kurt, i mean he was terrible in minnesota for what three years yeah that was five years ago sure I, he line? gets a chance for everybody sure. gets a chance okay uh, can i coach the team Mike does his yeah. X's and O's. Did you yeah. ever see Prater's I don't pictures? Think, I don't think yeah. I would get along with the players, though. I don't think I would connect with them. I think I would have. I think I would. I don't know. They think I'd be weird. I, 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 I will. I, I will still say that I think that this season has been a success because of Chris Stapps, who saw that coming. Because of the fact that they were five hundred, you know, forty-four games in, um, Melo's playing better. Like, oh, and Fisher's gone. So overall, I actually kind of. Wait, let's be fair for a sec. Yeah. Chris Stapps is playing well because he got minutes. Yeah. Melo's playing well. You know, Lance Thomas and Langston Galloway have been surprises. Are we attributing that entirely to those players? Did Fisher have nothing to do with any of that? That's kind of what I've been saying. Yeah, yeah. player development. Because there's, there's the coaching in the game. Him, they were I, playing pretty well for him, like, out well, of spite. And, and Jeff Van Gundy's <laughs> right. always really open about this. He's like, do not criticize coaches because well, you're seeing the 10% and the other 90% you never see, right? Sure. And that's, that's us I just here. wasn't inspired. Yeah, I, as that's like fair. a pure totally. fan thing, I just I just didn't feel like this was the guy. Yeah, and the, that's fair. You know, the thing with uh, Barnes was just, it wasn't the biggest, it just was, like we became a laughing stock again. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to move in the right direction and like, what are you doing? Um, so I just, I, ne- I always felt like he was uh, the bridesmaid to Phil Jackson, like he, that wasn't mm-hmm. who he wanted. Yep. And um, in his mind, I felt like that played played into it. And I just, I, I'm not a huge fan of the guy coming from you know the bench as a player sure. to coach. I just don't like that. I, I, I like the Van Gundy type of coach who's been around the game for 20 years, whose dad was a coach and all that. Those are the kind of coaches who typically have success or like a Pat Riley who was like a bench guy or a Phil Jackson, you know, like I don't need the superstar player turn. I don't need that. I don't want Jason Kidd. I don't, I don't want that. Well, And you have to, and Tibbs had his own philosophy, defensive philosophy that was successful. It it played out with the Celtics. It had already had a track record. I think with Fisher, you obviously you're taking a, and kind of, 
antiquated, maybe, trying to put the triangle offense into effect in today's very different game, especially when you look at the teams who are succeeding the most right now in the league, they kind of run the opposite of the triangle. I mean, the Warriors... Yeah, oh, but they're special and unique. the yes. triangle, like, partially. Sometimes. They really do. Okay. I watch the Warriors, and it looks lineups. like the Knicks, except instead of Rosa Calderon, <laughs> right. you have Stephen Curry. Yeah, okay, that. well, that's a little bit different. Uh, we're going to get out of here shortly. Uh, two last questions. Uh, Ariel, do you still hate Christian Leitner? Uh, no, because okay. I saw him on that documentary, and he seemed like I, I was very misinformed as a twelve-year-old. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he came across as country club, you know, sure. um, uh, this this entitled brat. And then you come to find out that he's blue collar from Buffalo and, yep. and all this stuff. So no, I got I got love. I mean, I hated Duke as a team. Still don't like them. But no, no, okay. all good. Christian and, and I are good. Cool. And then second, <laughs> good, good to hear. I had to bury that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That hatchet. Second one was: uh, was it hard maintaining being a Knicks fan when Toronto became an actual NBA franchise? Because oh. I thought about that. It's hard to be a, t- a fan of a of a team who's not in your area, especially as a kid. Not at all. Because <laughs> okay, let, let me tell you what it's like growing up in the '90s as an NBA fan, not an NHL fan. Like I remember True. Game Five of the 1993 NHL Finals. The Kings are playing the Canadians. Canadians end up winning their. Uh, 24th Stanley Cup and I watched game one of the NBA finals instead between the Bulls and the Suns I just loved the NBA I loved everything about the NBA when the Knicks made it to the finals in 1994 I had an Oakley jersey and a Ewing jersey and for that entire playoff run I wore one or the other every single day to school one day it was Ewing, one day it was Oakley. Like, that was really gross. And I had one <laughs> pair of Nick shorts, and I wore that almost every day. But no one cared. Not a single person cared. No sure. one cared about the NBA. Like, we didn't get TNT, so it was just like waking up in the morning and reading. It's almost amazing how I became such a fan with very limited access. Sure. So when the Raptors came, that to me was just like, a, oh, wow, now I could actually see the Knicks maybe a little closer to home. <laughs> sure. that, that's what mm-hmm. it was to me. When Oakley got traded to the Raptors, it was weird. It was like, this doesn't make sense sense because mm-hmm. like you're kind of closer to me but you don't look right in that yeah. jer- it just but somehow was, you're further and yeah he, he had the cornrows too once he it was weird the, the whole thing was weird up. although it can be worked out you know just fine but but that air like that arrow you know the raptors were kind of irrelevant it was weird mm-hmm. though that i think 2000 and 2001 they played the raptors in the playoffs and so every so now canada is like all <laughs> into basketball right their first playoff series was against the knicks um, and we beat them, and everyone's rooting for the Raptors, and I'm the Knicks guy, and they're like, that's how right. can you not root? I'm like, I've been following this game way longer than <laughs> yeah, all of you. Like, right. this is my team. This that's is, right. you know, two, 2000 really is the last, they beat them in 2001. 2000 really is like the last great memory I have of the Knicks in the playoffs. Like that sure. game, game seven against the Heat in the second round, mm. when they pass it into Ewing and Morning cheats, and he turns around and dunks it. And, and Spreewell gets a steal at the end and calls timeout, or I think he gets fouled. You know, like when he's in the corner and he's yeah. about to fall out of bounds? That series to me, like, I know one of the questions we were maybe going to talk about mm-hmm. is like our greatest yeah. memories. Yeah, like that me series it. to me, because I felt like it was kind of the end for Ewing. Yeah. And no one thought they were going to beat the the Heat. It was a little different than 98 and 99. I felt like 99 was a little bit skewed because it was the shortened season and we yep. really didn't know what to expect. Like 2000 felt like this was kind of the end for those guys and, and they were on the road for game seven yep. and it felt like payback for 1997. I love that. That that moment, like I don't know if I've ever felt more joy than in that moment when Ewing got that pass and dunked it. I was like... Fuck yeah! I don't know if I'm on the switch. I was so happy that moment. <laughs> was that the series that the was it the Anthony Carter shot over the backboard? Was that oh, the same? That series? was that was the last series against the Heat in that rivalry, I believe. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite moment, Seth? 
I know you got a lot of moments in your head right now, but is in, there a favorite Knicks moment like that, that stands out to you? Oh, yeah, like I mean, it's cliche, but the, the Allen Houston runner. Against Allen the Houston heat. runner, right? Where he yeah. just runs straight past the hoop because it's going in on the, on the multiple yeah. bounces. Yeah, runs the yeah. length of the court. It was yep. in Miami. Yep. Uh, they, they had fumbled the inbound pass, which is also semi-true of the Larry Johnson four-point play. <laughs> yeah, two true. bad yeah. inbound passes. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, was sit- I was sitting uh, at my best friend's house on his mom's bed, and I kissed him right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> we were, yeah, we were like nothing 10 years like old. those moments when you're just you know so yeah. happy. '94 was obviously great, like the Ewing dunk. Sure, you know Starks misses it, and Ewing put back in just to see him like put up his hands and embrace the yep. entire city for once, and they embraced him back. Oh, uh, and right. so wait, I, you, ahead, so you asked ahead. before yeah. what you know? How did how did we stay fans? Yeah, in like yeah, what kept you? What kept you there? How did I? Yep. Why did I start a blog in 2007? Because yep. I just want that back so badly. Yep. I want to be 10 and. You know, I won't be 10, but the Knicks can be like they were when I was 10 again. And I guess, you know, every year, with the exception of a few, I've sat there like, hey, maybe uh, (laughs) Howard Isley is the one who brings back that glory. Maybe it's, you know, (laughs) Lee Nalon or Chris Copeland or whatever. But now that the team, well, now anyway, that the team feels like it's building somewhat organically. And the Fisher stuff complicates this somewhat, Mm -hmm. where it feels like they're not panicking. They're not just going after every, you know, big name player that is is getting sure, dumped. Sure. Um it feels like I don't I don't need the Knicks to win a championship. I just want to I just want to feel like that's a possibility. And that's again. proper expectation setting, which is usually how you can temper being a, a, a good fan. When you when you're seeing something that you're uh, when your eyes aren't trying to be fixated on if they win the championship, everything else is a failure. If they make the playoffs or don't make the playoffs, everything else is a failure. You have to use those building blocks. I just want to get to the point where yeah. I could feel like, oh, they didn't win the championship, that's a failure. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> it still feels weird to me that they're a laughing stock, even though it's been such a long stretch. Like I still feel like the 90s like to me that logo like that was a powerhouse Mm -hmm. you know they were one two or three seed and people feared them and it was just such a glorious time even though i didn't live in the city um it still feels weird like the knicks aren't a laughing stock and and it feels like at some point we're going to look back on this i believe and that time is going to come it just it has to come it has to everything's going to work out it's just the for some reason like we, we we almost paid the price you know that that great stretch in the 90s even though we didn't win we, we had to, you know, pay the devil now and go sure. through this 20-year stretch of misery. But I will definitely say you guys have a much better history than my favorite team. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the Wizards. The Wizards yeah, I mean, with the Bullets, yes. That goes without saying. Like, yeah, you, you talk about, forever. like, these, like, great playoff moments, and I'm just trying to think, like, well, uh, it was kind of cool that one time we lost game three of the Bulls. Yeah. <laughs> Juwan Howard may have had a double-double yeah, or something. So that is true. Like, those things do get you through some lean times. Well, sure. I, I bring it up, too, because I'm watching this the OJ, People vs. OJ Simpson show, yeah. and they had some stock footage of, of the fans sitting around the bar for oh, yeah. Houston yeah. Knicks and, yeah. and the you know the white Bronco chase and it got me thinking last night as I'm watching it. Uh, oh, you spoiled it, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert: There's a white Ford Bronco chase and he doesn't kill himself in the back of the uh, truck. But uh, so and it got me thinking. It's like wow, there is something special about it. And I'll say this as someone from Philadelphia: There's something special about when a place like New York City, who's built around basketball, it's not baseball. I don't care about the Yankees tradition. It's not hockey. I don't care about the original six Rangers thing. 
It's definitely not the Brooklyn Nets, uh, but it's the New York Knicks basketball. Nick basketball in this city is special, and when the team is good, there's a buzz in the air. And I kind of like the uh, the way that that felt watching that again was like, man, maybe if the Knicks are good again, I could get behind this and I could see what it really you know feels like to be you guys and know what it feels like to be a big Knicks fan. But you guys gave us some really good insight today into the, the psyche of a fan, Ariel. Thank you. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, man. And Seth, and, and knowing that the time you put into this since 2007, getting all of the best in uh, it was in Knicks reporting. One moment where yeah. you appeared on this it podcast. Was I'm actually going to hang it up. I'm going literally going to drop the mic when we're done with this podcast. Just Go, walk off on the sun. Going side. back to MSG to eat all their concessions. Um, we'll be looking out for that. But um, I will say you do a great job with the site as a fan. Thank you very much. And it's, it's, uh, it's a very important uh, site. You, may, you, you probably know this, but you know when something big happens – I always usually go to the comments first because I almost want the fans to tell me what to think or I'm like, um, should I be happy about this? Should I not be? Um, and you don't get that from like, you know, the articles and stuff are all great, like the, the straight reports. But it's nice to finally have a place where it's like knowledgeable fans and, and you can you can celebrate together even though I, I, don't, I don't comment, but I read them all. Mm-hmm. Or you can be miserable together. It's just mm-hmm. nice to have that place. So it's a very important thing that you do you for go. fans that uh, never really had that outlet. It's, I, it's important to notice too that the – the fan base is not nearly as fatalistic as the media reports with <laughs> no, the team is, and that's it's it's actually a good reminder to have you guys on here for that too, because you know we're I'm thinking like oh they're going to kind of do something you know really short sighted and there's just so much pressure, but really like for most people I think they would just want them to act like a normal team. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, oh there you go, Seth. You're the captain of a great community, man. You've started you. something special here. Ariel, thanks for joining. Seth, thanks for joining. Prada, as always. Guys, uh, find us on iTunes. Subscribe to us, Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, we actually are, and I should have announced this earlier, we're launching an at Limited Upside Twitter handle now oh. where you're going to be able to find all of this. So we'll get this out there. We'll promote this. Um, you can but, listen to more yep. Ish Smith talk from Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get all my, all my thoughts on uh, the Sixers' loss to the Kings last night. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, we are launching that. Uh, find us again. iTunes, SoundCloud, search for Limited Upside. Subscribe to us. Rate us on SBNation.com backslash MBA. You'll also find us once this goes up. This has been a lot of fun talking about the Knicks. And let's probably never talk about the Knicks Go again. Go Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.